What's up, everybody? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Corey and I really appreciate it. We've been having a ton of fun. Love the feedback. Thanks for leaving your reviews and subscribing. Wanted to tell you about something else that we just are bringing to bear. Chrome Premium Membership. Now, before you say, "Ah, I don't need another thing, go check this out. We've really put a lot of time and energy into trying to build a whole new slew of benefits around Rome that we hope you will appreciate. Unlimited access, if you become a Rome member, to all sorts of exclusive content, of course, that's being our bread and butter. But the thing that is really the doorbuster on this is the Rome Academy. We have got a library of content that is in place and being built around adventure education like none other in the world. Taught by our founding members, people like Jimmy Chin, Dr. Kelly Sturette, Ian Walsh, Corey Richards, my co-host, an entire curriculum of outdoor and adventure related education and classes from fitness and gear, travel, backcountry cooking, photography, expedition planning, social media, If you're trying to work in the space, if you're in the space and you're trying to learn a new skill, uh, we are going to have the best outdoor and adventure education online in the world, taught by the best. So that is just one of the benefits for less than 13 bucks a month. You get full access to that, you get the behind the scenes content, you get exclusive content, you get the mentor sessions and a bunch of other stuff. I won't bore you with all of it. Go check it out, roamemedia.com membership it's our newest thing we built it for you love to hear if you uh if you like it and hope to see you in the community thanks so much culture has a plan for you they want you to be an x a y or a z they want you to you know go to these schools and do these jobs and it comes from you know these people care about us deeply but the prescription that they give us is woefully um unsatisfying, incomplete, and often downright not right for us. Slowly, I woke up over a course of a number of years realizing that. I dropped out of um, medical school. I bailed on a a PhD in philosophy and on a career in professional soccer to become a photographer. Welcome back, everybody, to Rome from Home. One of your hosts, Chris Gerard, founder and CEO of Rome, and Corey Richards, National Geographic photographer, alpinist, storyteller. Today we have a special guest, Chase Jarvis. Uh, This conversation is really one of the best I think we've had. Um, We've had a lot of great ones, but uh, just went deep on mindset, um, went deep on mastery, went deep on making shit. just some great, great wisdom from our friend Chase. And uh, I know, Corey, you really enjoyed it too. What were the big takeaways for, for folks who are about to dive in? Well, I mean, without spilling it, you know, I think the, the, the big takeaway here is using this moment that we're in to evaluate and uh, catalyze, um, you know, motion forward, making. Um, Chase is a prolific maker, and uh, I think his insights are really, really valuable right now. And the other, beyond that, he's just articulate in the way that he presents his ideas, which is something that I really resonate with and love when people can 
take ideas, distill them into digestible um, sort of capsules and, and, and voice them. And I think he's just so brilliant at doing that. Yeah, I think, I think that's an accurate description for sure. I mean, his, his ability to take complex ideas and, and make them approachable in a, in a very articulate way is, is uh, it's truly world-class. Um, he's got a lot of practice, I'll say. He's, he's been doing yeah. this a long time. So it's just an amazing conversation with our friend Chase. He's got a new book that's been out for a few months, but uh, is, is on sale right now, I guess, at an amazing deal, $1.99. It's called Creative Calling. If you want to go deeper with Chase, that's a that's a great way to do so is to buy that book. Check out his social feeds on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, his company, Creative Live, has educated like 10 million people, and there are classes ranging from money management to Adobe Photoshop. Um, just a great conversation for this time when people are uh, figuring out ways to spend their days. Um, so we hope you enjoy it. Another episode of Run from Home. Thanks. What's happening, brother? Made it. Good morning. I, I guess maybe if you could start with um, your, you know, today you are the CEO and founder of Creative Live. That's part of what keeps you very busy. Yep. You are a content creator on the level that very few can achieve in terms of what you put out on a daily basis through video, through social, through your, your book, Creative Calling, that's been out there now for four or five months, uh, yeah. I guess. Um, a company, a show that you've been doing for 10 years plus that we worked on together in the early iterations. Um, I mean, you're, you're, you basically own the internet now. Um, but going back, you know, you, you started as a, as a photographer, um, and a working photographer, and even before that, athlete, and so on. Maybe you could run us through the the history so that those who might not know understand how we can be sitting here together today. Um, yeah, let's just quickly retrace twenty five years. Yeah, <laughs> just in a kind of nutshell. Yeah. And and get through it quick, would you? Yeah, um, yeah. Keep yeah, it no, you did you, you did a, a good job of covering the arc. I think like so many folks, I woke up one day and realized that the world, my parents, my friends, my peers, my teachers, my career counselors were pretty effective at programming me to do the things that fell in line with cultural norms that, you know, culture has a plan for you. They want you to be an X, a Y, or a Z. They want you to you know, go to these schools and do these jobs. And it comes from, you know, these people care about us deeply. These are our friends and parents and peers and teachers, and they care about us deeply. But the prescription that they give us is woefully um, unsatisfying, incomplete, and often downright not right for us. And, you know, I woke up slowly. I woke up over a course of a number of years realizing that, and again, that's what's confusing for us is these people love us and they tell us that we need to go be a doctor, or a lawyer, or a teacher or something that gets, you know, cultural respect and reverence and appreciation and, and you know, that, that scope of what becomes possible for this one precious life is infinitely narrowed. You know, the aperture of our existence becomes what people read in a book or what society deems successful. And over the course of a number of years in college uh, and early on the outset of leaving college, um, 
I realized that I dropped out of um, medical school. I bailed on a, a PhD in philosophy and on a career in professional soccer to become a photographer. And you can imagine my poor family, right? My parents like, oh, our son's going to be all these things that are well respected in culture. And instead, I just, you know, wanted to become a dirtbag photographer and travel um, the world and take pictures of my then girlfriend, now wife, Kate, and all my peers and friends, you know, skating, surfing, snowboarding, skiing, etc. And uh, through a handful of, you know, weird and um, sometimes ominous events, um, I just realized that life is super short. And, you know, how can we carve out, how can we ultimately create this one precious life that, that we have? So that led me to uh, going really deep in photography. That's how we met, as you mentioned. Um, I started out as an action sports photographer, happened to make the transition into large-scale commercial photography on the back of the outdoor, you know, sports and action sports lifestyle becoming mainstream. And I was very, very luckily timed instead of just working for all the endemic companies, which I had all the, you know, the skiing and surfing and climbing brands and all the magazines of which you mentioned, Gerard. Um, you know, when that went sort of mainstream to became all the credit card companies and the automotive companies and the Apples and Microsofts and Googles, um, you know, where there are few people that can do the kind of work that we did. And when that, those concepts um, as a lifestyle went mainstream, I happened to make the transition with that. And that, you know, basically 50x my income. Um, and I was able to, you know, move out of the van and into a studio and expand my scope a little bit, start directing television commercials. Um, and after a lifetime of doing that, you know, 10 years in the outdoor sports industry to as a photographer to A, be able to make a, a a beautiful living, but B, have the kind of impact and C, stay alive. You know, Corey, you're, you're familiar with this and, you know, Gerard, I mean, you and I've been in some pretty near death experiences, not even exaggerating a little bit, you know, in the middle of the South China Sea, you made that reference earlier, like get, getting caught in a monsoon in a hundred foot boat in the middle of a, you know, an ocean where there's no one to come find you and no one to save you. Um, those will put a little perspective on you. Those will, you know, those moments and, that made me, you know, that and almost dying in an avalanche um, made me realize that, you know, after 15 years of, you know, being one of the top commercial photographers in the world, I realized that that had been all about me. And there's a, you know, I write about this in detail in Creative Calling. The first arc of our life is generally about acquiring things. It's about acquiring knowledge and experience and peers and friendships and um, resources. And, you know, I like to think that at some point we shift gears and we realize that, wow, uh, maybe I'm not the center of the universe. And what if we could flip the script? And so for me, after almost dying in an avalanche in Alaska on a commercial for Nike, I, uh, I realized that I wanted to, what I had tapped into for me, the ability to say no to what everybody else wanted to say yes for myself and yes for what is going to be best for, I think, the world and say yes to creativity like, what if I could provide a world where other people got to experience that? So I started making tools. Um, I did an iPhone app in 2009. That was the first app to um, allow people to take a photo, add a thing called a filter with their phone, and then share it to a thing called social, a social network. Um, so hey, it's, it's oh, we mentioned that before. I just want to put a little context <laughs> on that because Chase and I were on a commercial 
shoot in New Zealand together. He pulled me in to bring some skiers. This was 2009. And uh, we're, sit- we're in a coffee shop ordering some flat whites. And uh, he-, he pulls out his iPhone. He was a a flat guys. white is a latte for those who people who <laughs> <Yeah>. like... <laughs> But when you're in New Zealand, you can, Corey, you can just say you can just say latte, Chris. You don't have to be. You can just say Buenos Aires. It doesn't have to be Buenos Aires. <laughs> All right, thanks for bringing me down a peg there, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, anyways, we're in this coffee shop, and uh, Chase hands me his phone and says, "Hey, look, I've been working on this thing. It's a and it's a and just the idea of having an app at that stage was so advanced in 2009 first of all he had an iphone which made him advanced and then second it was like yeah i built this thing custom for this iphone and uh it was amazing it was is this like you said this app that you could take photos up with and then share that with a community and put uh filters over and it was called the best camera and it was truly the first time I had ever seen it in the world. And, and I think the world in general had ever seen it. Got downloaded half a million times right out of the gate. Um, and I was lucky enough to work with Chase on that a little bit. It was truly the precursor to Instagram. Yeah. And I know Chase doesn't talk about this that much because it, well, I'll let him talk about maybe why he doesn't, but it, <laughs> it uh, you know, he invented it. Really, I'll get, I will say that publicly here. Like, you know, the best camera was the first time that was out in the world. And those in, and it was built specifically for the photography community, um, which might have been a little bit narrow in, in its scope, perhaps. Um, but it was, it was really like the first time that was out there. So um, does, that, does that just like, does that just fucking piss you off? That then like, I mean, that's what I want to know because like, Cause that, it almost pisses me off just by proxy. Cause I'm like, well, wait, I want like, why isn't Chase, you know, what happened? Where was Mark Zuckerberg for you is I guess what I'm asking. Well, it's well chronicled on the, on the uh, internet. Um, it was the first um, social network that powered by photography so much so that just to give you a picture, the first time I submitted um, I was working closely with Apple because they realized that their cameras or their phones had cameras and that that was going to be an interesting part of it. And when I submitted the idea originally, um, I'd done some work with them previously on different campaigns and whatnot. I helped, I launched uh, Aperture was the sort of the person, the face of that as a, as a part of that launch campaign. So was integrated pretty well there and shared them the vision that I had about, you know, how photography was a universal language and it was going to change the future of the world. And, and if a, you know, a photo's worth a thousand words and let's just post a lot of photos and it'd be a great way to, to, um, you know, culture will, will adopt this universal language of photography and it transcends geography and age and race and all these things. And so they ended up saying, okay, well, this is kind of interesting, but I, the original version of the app I submitted for their review had a feed, um, and it's true that Facebook existed and it was starting to have a feed, but there was no such thing as a feed of photos. And uh, Apple initially rejected the idea of a feed in an app. And I was like, huh. whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, and it went, I won't tell you how high up in the organization it went, but it went to the top. And, <laughs> and the conversation about what the future of photography looked like and the, the ability to have the requirements of a photo feed was imminent and it was going to happen. And 
you know, Apple could either be a part of the solution or a part of the problem. And so I worked closely with them to create a system where the community could flag events that or images that might be inappropriate. And that was what made it possible for the first photo feed to, to happen. And, and as CJ mentioned, like we put it out in September and it went to number one in the app store, uh, ended up being app of the year in 2009 in the Apple in the iTunes universe. And, uh, I remember on new year's Eve of 2009 watching, you know, it, as CJ said, it was like half a million downloads in the first maybe week or two. Um, and at that point, you know, the, Yes, you could say historically, if you move you know forward a year or two years or whatever, it was a failure because you know Instagram Zuckerberg didn't give me a billion dollars; they gave somebody else a billion dollars. But I remember just thinking on New Year's Eve, watching millions of people participating in this community, this online photo sharing app, and watching New Year's unfold all over the world like fireworks starting in New Zealand and, and, and Australia and then going into Asia and Europe. And I was like, this is, it's working. This is like this global feed of photography. And you just saw parties and smiles and different colored faces, different age faces, different. It was just, it was truly a beautiful moment. Um, I'll never forget it. Fast forward <laughs> a few years and sure we, you know, downloaded millions of times and to be fair, um, you know, I, I still made out very well with it, but, um, we got, uh, in a dispute with our developer. We didn't, we, we owned the code via contract, but it was on their servers and we had a little dispute and it was, it's well chronicled on the internet. I'll, I'll let you look up my name plus best camera. Um, but it did, it was frustrating and it, it was like a five-year scar. And, you know, so uh, for legal reasons, I couldn't participate in Instagram when it came out. And yes, when it sold for a billion dollars, my phone rang all day and I gave, you know, lots of interviews and turned down a lots of others because I think largely it was, you know, the early photo, online photo movement. I, I had a lot of, um, uh, I guess, chips in that corner, but ultimately it was an amazing learning experience. And I leveraged all of that into what is today Creative Live, where tens of millions of people learn photography and design and, and whatnot. Um, so frustrating and humiliating and it, you know, I, I couldn't use Instagram for five years. So while all my friends <clears throat> have millions of feed or millions of followers, I got to sit on the sideline for the, the hate, you know, Instagram's really heyday, but that builds, I think, character and humility and um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything now. It's been a really important building block in my arc, but I appreciate you for taking that little detour there, CJ. Um, I guess the last part of the arc from your first question is I leveraged that into, you know, all my learning there around venture capital and, you know, publicly traded companies trying to buy your company and, and what it means to use creativity and technology um, together, you know, use technology to scale creativity, if you will. Uh, and that came, you know, built up creative live and ultimately after, you know, 20 years of being gone every week, every other week, for photo assignments all over the world, I started transitioning into how can I make other people, if I can give you know other people 10% of the experience that I got to have, you know, leveraging my creativity to build a living and a life that I love, maybe that's a next, that's that second arc if I can give back to others. So that was what, you know, started creating that photo app and then ultimately resulted in Creative Live where I'm still spending a lot of time 
um, these days, helping the creative community in whatever way I can. Did, did you, I, I think this is really interesting for, for our audience specifically, there's a lot of younger people who are highly motivated to make careers or lives in um, some sort of creative calling, to mm -hmm. use your words. You are an example of somebody who has continually made what you're doing simply a rung on a ladder that, that then you step up onto and move further or deeper into the sphere of um, creativity and, and making. Did you have a blueprint for that? I mean, did you, I, obviously you couldn't say, you know, in 2000, I'm going to make an app in 2009 that then, but, but I'm curious, did you have goals that you were working towards or was this led by intuition? Um, love that question, Corey. Love it on a lot of levels. Um, mostly because I think it is a question that a lot of people have, and I don't think there's a good blueprint in our culture for it. Um, I think early on, the most important thing that we have that gets snuffed out outside of our creativity, which the snuffing of that happens early on. It happens in grade school. We start telling people that they need to do something that's practical or what, whatever. And I don't, I, I've, if creating is not just popsicle sticks and pipe cleaners, as we're taught in second grade and, and creativity is actually, you know, putting any idea together with another idea and making it useful. <laughs> like that's creativity. Yeah. It's, it's, if that's not practical, I don't know what is, but <laughs> aside from that tangent, like, I started, you know, listening to that intuition that told me what I wanted to do and see it, saw that juxtaposition or that difference with what everyone else was telling me to do, you know, hence the story I shared earlier about disappointing the most important people in my life to become a photographer. Uh, as soon as I felt that, this is the magic um, that when you're on your own, your path, the path that you're supposed to be on and everyone, regardless of where you at in your career right now, or regardless if you're, you consider yourself satisfied or fulfilled or happy or not, you felt it before in your life, what it felt like to be on your path and doing the thing and being around the people that you're supposed to be around and doing it, even if it was for an hour or a day or a week or a summer. And that what I want to share with anyone who's listening or watching is that's available to you every day. And it might not always be crystal clear, but it's always there. And when you start to do the things and live in line with your values and your intuition, um, it, what goes, what feels like swimming upstream suddenly feels um, like you're in a flow state, like you're going with the flow of the universe. And instead of things happening to you, they start happening for you. And so I tasted that early on um, in a couple of areas of my life, so much so that I was willing to disappoint everybody. And as I mentioned, you know, pursue my path as a photographer, but at no point did I see the entire staircase. I just saw the next step or two. And, you know, we're sold in our culture. We're, we're sold a map. We are sold a, you start here, follow the dotted line, dot, 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 dot. And you end up over here at the red X, which is where the treasure is. And that treasure is the gold watch and 40 years with the same company. And, you know, that's the map that we're sold. And the path is like, you, you have these friends, you have this school, you, you know, and 
I just don't know. When I started deconstructing my own successes and failures and the successes and failures of the, you know, the most successful and I would argue fulfilled people in our culture, I had the good fortune of becoming friends with some of these people as I became well known in my area of expertise. And I just saw a pattern that nobody has a map and that the map that we're sold doesn't look like anybody's journey. So why should we be looking around to buy these maps? Or when someone hands us a map, why should we be looking at that as like the truth versus what we're all born with, which is an amazing compass. And that compass, it doesn't all, it doesn't, you can't see the whole route laid out. You just see North. You just see what is in line with your intuition. And when you start going the wrong direction, how do you feel? You start to feel off. And I'm not talking about hard or easy. I'm talking about like, does this align with who I am, my ethos, my values, or does it not? And that's a compass. And we all have that compass. And I just started to pay attention to my compass. And that compass led me to become a photographer. And that compass, you know, led me from photography to video. And that that compass led me from you know, from photography and video to, you know, building some tools for photographers and, and directors and then building a learning platform. And then, you know, you, you just, it unpacked itself as I just took steps and notice we're not talking about sitting on the couch and intellectualizing what this journey looks like. You don't get any points for overthinking something. You have to actually put one foot in front of the other. As someone who's climbed a lot of mountains, Corey, you know, you can't get to the top by sitting in your tent and scratching your chin. You know, yeah. You, you I mean, there's a lot of like thing. the intention, you know, it's, you've got good intentions. Well, your intentions kind of don't mean anything unless you actually start doing something. For sure. And the, the beautiful thing about action over intellect is truths and needs and realities quickly emerge when you start walking. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But they, they don't emerge from the tent. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think they, that's one of the things, Chase, that, I mean, it's, it's in your book and you, you, if you pay attention to Chase on any of his social feeds, which I would recommend, um, you know, you, you're great at putting these, these out too, that, you know, make it till you make it. Um, yeah. and, and I will say having worked side by side with you for many years and knowing you even previous to that, I know few people who work, no, I actually don't know anybody who works as hard and has the drive to keep making and, and to be unafraid to, to put things out there and to share, even if it fails to a degree. Um, and we've talked about that previously on the podcast, but I think that's a really important part of your whole ecosystem. And, and a good thing for our listeners is that, you know, you, you really, that whole make it until you make it that, perfection is the enemy of creativity to a certain degree. And to, 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 it's a grind. It is a grind. And I've grinded with you enough, you know, to, to know it's like this guy works as hard as anybody. None of this came without a tremendous work. And Corey, you're, you're a testament to the same thing. I mean, you don't get to the top of Everest multiple times, um, you know, by sitting and dreaming about it. Um, and, you know, scrolling through your social feed and saying, you know, five minute abs, right? Like, uh, so there I just, are no, there are no hacks for, for fitness. I, that's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, or but, in some of these same things, it's reps, right? It's yeah. repetitions and it's, it's getting up and, and doing and being, take, finding the courage to do that in a creative sense 
And I think one of the things I've also witnessed with Chase that actually brought us together on, on sort of the second iteration of our work together in, in your studio was you taking the things that you had learned and being really one of the very first people around the advent of social media, let's call it 2007, 2008, and starting to package those things that you were doing, the making, and trying to share them yeah. on the platforms without the permission of, at that time, the, the photo editors and the, and the folks who were sort of the gatekeepers. Um, that's really an interesting point in, in our whole media history where we, the makers, the people who were got, getting up and doing, could start to make and share at scale. And you were really, I mean, that was a light bulb moment for me being in media at that point already for a decade and being a, a, a gatekeeper at a magazine who decided who got on the cover and so on. And here was my friend, Chase Jarvis, who was making things and putting them out on this newfangled platform called Facebook and Twitter and his blog and sort of opened up the, the back end for me at one point, like the suitcase in Pulp Fiction, like, oh. And there was, you know, millions of people paying attention to Chase Jarvis, just one person, this being in 2008, 2009, which completely changed my vision of media, which we now live in, influencers yeah. and people who have millions of followers and Instagram and all those things. But really, that they, all going back to the making and making and making, and then being one of the early people to share that. And because of sharing something, you amassed an audience, you know? And so that, that, that whole idea, I think, is with, with what you're bringing into the world now with Creative Live, you've actually scaled that even beyond. But I, I think there's an interesting question in all that around where you see social media being an early innovator, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you've said this, very publicly, but like social media is like a tool, just like a camera is a tool for you. Like it's a hammer, yep. right? People get all caught up in it and, and find identity and, and so on. I, I don't think you've ever done that. I think you've seen it as a hammer the same way a carpenter sees a hammer. Mm -hmm. And now we live in a time where people make their living through being influencers and social media has sort of turned into something else. So where do you see at this moment, especially here we are, you know, in this very unique time in history, where do you see, so considering all that history, yeah. where do you see social media going from here? Hmm. Um, it's a great question. And I, I want to, you know, you should take my opinions with a grain of salt. I'm, I'm just one human, but I am reasonably opinionated about this stuff. And I, I've seen this a couple of times in different different versions, whether it was 2001 or 2007, eight, like you kept, you said 2007, eight or nine, like remember that was a massive recession. And, you know, my business probably 10 X across the, from 2006 to 2010. And it was because I was, you know, largely aware of some of the things culturally that, that others weren't. And, that only comes from living in an industry and you know Corey, you know this from climbing Everest so many times and and gerard you know this from being in the media whatever it is you're immersed in you start to just become you start to feel the road as you're driving and you start to smell 
the wind changing directions just from being so immersed in it. And as you mentioned, being sort of one of the earliest in the photo game to, um, to uh, tap into that. Um, what I see is a, um, I see the middle as treacherous. I think there's going to be a lot more opportunity for smaller influencers to get something instead of nothing. And I think a lot of the people who are well-established will continue to get um, recognized and win jobs and work and um, applause and appreciation and recognition. And I think the middle is really tough. And I think there's a lot of people in the middle. This is what happened with the photography industry in 2008. You know, I was shooting campaigns for Apple and Nike and Google and my business increased and because when the shit hits the fan and you know companies like apple and nike they don't stop advertising when there's a downturn in the economy they find media prices cheaper and they invest so they're going to invest with people that are proven <laughs> they're not going to take a chance and by extension there um, a lot of smaller brands will go to people who will work for cheaper free at the lower end of the market and anyone who's in the middle if you're beige um, you're in the middle, you're sort of like aware of what you're doing, you're getting some traction, that just becomes really scary and treacherous because your world changes almost overnight. And we're seeing that already. And so if you change that into a prescription, like again, take what I say with a grain of salt, but if you find yourself not being ultimately <clears throat> true to who you are and what you want to be, you're not living your most authentic sort of approach if you see yourself as a quote influencer that is a road to nowhere because no one you know the number of people who get paid influence for influence's sake i mean it's it's basically there's like five people on the internet that that emerged from that everyone else is because of doing something let's take jimmy our mutual friend you know the guy's one of the most accomplished climbers on the planet and is very good at using a camera he put those two things together that his that is his something that is he's wildly differentiated at and he's can, you know, climb vertical walls and get great shots, you know, it was still in moving cameras and he doubled down on that. And the Kardashians are known for being known, which, you know, I think a lot of people identify where they want the end brick road of, or the end at the end of the yellow brick road. They just want to be known for being known. And that's just not a thing. You so influence it's not a craft. There's no, yeah, craft. it's not a craft. You have to like double down on the thing that you are uniquely put on this pla you know, planet to do. And so if you, there's a lot of people that are in the middle and if you find yourself sort of just doing this thing so you can get attention on the internet versus like doubling down on what is it you want to get out of it? What do you want to put into it? What, you know, what drives you and why that is a truth serum that you know <laughs> unlocks that compass for you and if you are in that position right now i suggest you really orient around what are you uniquely good at what do you uniquely care at and don't tell yourself a series of of stories that aren't true like in your heart of hearts when you're lying alone at two in the morning looking at the ceiling you know what you're supposed to be doing and there probably is a gap between where you are now and what you're supposed to be doing your job in this time is to close that gap. Close that gap on your authenticity, on your vulnerability, on your reality and what you like now is, a, is, a, is the best time 
to start to close that gap. And there are a lot of people who are in the middle, a lot of people who are beige, who are looking at the person next to them, to the right and to the left, and how do I fit in? And the reality is you can't actually fit in and stand out at the same time. So you have to start to make some choices and those choices are gonna be uncomfortable. So I recommend you get comfortable being uncomfortable. Don't get caught in the middle and pursue the thing that you're supposed to be doing right now. Not about school, not about what your parents, your career counselor, your mom or your brother, or your cousin or your spouse thinks, what you think. And that's hard to do. I, I mean, that's some of the, I'm, I kind of have, goosebumps right now because I, I feel like that's just really sound and unexpected advice right now um i think there's there, i have so many questions that came up in that but i i want to time we got time dude <laughs> i want i want to back up a little bit because one of the things that is as a creative i find a hard i i have a hard time activating and you are somebody who is uh, prolific at activation and, and, and by activation, I mean, making what, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, I, I know, I, I know the answer is somewhat simple, but, but for people like myself and other people, where does that, that prolific motivation to continue to just make come from and how do you foster it? Mm. Um, well, first of all, things that seem easy on the surface rarely are. And so it's, you know, I really appreciate the question. And, you know, it's sort of like if you, if you look at an athlete, like how do you motivate to train? I don't know, we're in an era right now, the Jordan documentary is, a, you know, 10 part series that's dropping right now. And it's just like brilliant and insightful. And you get to see a little bit into the mind of Michael Jordan, which is like, amazing and he you, you start to it starts to reveal over the course of the series i won't blow it for anybody who hasn't seen it yet but that he's not necessarily well liked and he's not necessarily fun to be around you look at the cost of greatness and um you know ultimately a lot of those those rough edges get smoothed over in the arc of time but you know there's a lot of hardness there's a lot of pain and struggle and but at the end you, know, you start to unpack that that is you know what michael jordan started seeking for himself was this level of greatness and to to it's it's i want to be very clear i'm not comparing myself to michael jordan i'm comparing the intention of what are you willing to do i just like to think of it in terms of um getting comfortable being uncomfortable you know, and I think the shortest answer I can give to your question, and it, it, you know, you know the answer. As you said, it's probably, what is it, uh, simple but not easy. Yeah. Um, is that creativity is a muscle, and like anything, it gets stronger with more use. Maya Angelou said it best. She said, "Creativity is an infinite resource. The more you have, the more you get." And it, or sorry, the more you use, the more you get. And to me, that was something that I became aware of. And, and, and it's one of the key principles in my book, Creative Calling, which I just, I just realized, um, I don't know if you guys, if Julie shared this with you, um, my EA, but that the book is $1.99 when you guys are going to drop this thing right now um, on Amazon, the ebook is $1.99 or BookBub or Amazon, one of those places like 
So uh, just a less than there, a flat white. Yeah, <laughs> less than a cup of coffee. You know, and I put my entire psychology, the psychology of the world's top performers, you know, um, you know, folks on this call, folks in the Rome community, Jimmy and Alex and Richard Branson and Tim Ferriss and Brene Brown. And, you know, those are those folks and their insights are all in the book. Um, it, if you realize that everyone's creative and that means you, whoever's listening or watching. And if you realize too, this thing that Corey's asking about that, you know, that creativity is a muscle, it stands to follow that the more that you create, you get comfortable being uncomfortable. You get stronger through that process of, of swinging the hammer as many times as you do is taking the, you know, the reps. And when you realize that that is a, um, uh, a virtuous cycle and even the, the simple act of getting comfortable being uncomfortable through repetition, that to me, when you start to not care what, what, you know, we're social animals. So you can say like, I don't care what anybody thinks. And the reality is your psychology, your inescapable psychology is that you do care in some way, shape or form. But when you can get comfortable being uncomfortable and putting things out there, whether they succeed or fail or whether you feel fulfilled or not after it, like it starts some sort of a flywheel, this virtuous cycle that I don't know if I, I would, this is, you know, the tangent I went on with Michael Jordan is that you became really comfortable in not being there to please, you know, himself or others, but to, you know, follow on or not to certainly to please himself, but not to please others. You start finding yourself on this journey. And that's all it was for me is I realized that that for me started uncorking all of the best things in life. And by the best things in life, I don't just mean the wins, you know, the best things in life, like we're human. We want to feel all of the feelings. The range of emotions is what makes a life, not this sort of compartmentalizing. So I think that, you know, the, the third pillar to the book, if the first one is everyone's creative, the second one is that creativity is a muscle. The third one, and I think what is ultimately what, as I connect the dots looking backwards, I think, you know, to answer Corey's question and to maybe put this in perspective, that it's only through creating regularly creating in small daily ways, projects, works of art, um, you know, conversations and putting things out there in the world. It's only through creating in small regular ways that you understand that you have the ability to create your life. And that's what this whole thing is about, right? That's what this whole mission is about. It's like when you realize that you have agency over what you do right now and in the next five minutes and the next five minutes after that, and whether you're going to take a picture and share it or whether, whatever you're going to do, if you've done that enough, that is literally what, what, you, what gives you the ability to recognize that you can create your life. And anybody that you look up to or appreciate or admire, I, I guarantee you that they are proactive about creating their life. They didn't, it didn't just happen. If you sit down, you talk to Jimmy or Richard Branson or Tim Ferriss or Alex or anybody, they're like, no, no, this is like, I designed my life to look like this. And what you're seeing is the product of the effort of that design realized. That is incredibly, to me, eye-opening. And so I want to keep my muscles strong, my creative muscles at virtually any cost, because at the end, the number one thing the dead or the dying say is that, I wished I'd have lived my life more in line with my own values and aspirations and intuition versus someone else. 
And I don't want to be that person. I want to be sitting on my deathbed saying that was a good ride. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Do you, do you feel, um, a lot of times I find myself in these conversations asking questions to either sort of reassure myself or, <laughs> I mean, there's just components of this, this life that I'm, I'm really curious about with other people that have followed a similar trajectory or a trajectory that I look up to, but do you feel any sense of angst, like, like a need to, to, to like, even when you've achieved so much, do you feel as though you need to achieve more or there is more to do? Is that a constant for you or do you not feel that at all? No, no, I think it's, it's really fair. And it is, um, you know, you, if you start, you know, uh, if you've seen this on the internet or heard it or understand it intuitively, that is like, oh, when you, 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 I guess the way of saying is remember when you wanted what you have now, right? Right. <laughs> there was a time not that long. You're like, man, I just want to, I want a place in Boulder. I want to have a house in Montana. I want right. to get paid to climb and right. do podcasts and what an amazing life would be. And right now you're not saying, damn, I made it. I have all yeah, the yeah, things, yeah. you know, yeah. there's this sort of a, a next level to virtually everything. And I think the gap here is the gap in between success and fulfillment mm -hmm. and success without fulfillment to me is an example of, of hell, right? You've right. done the things and you're on a treadmill, but you know, a hamster on a wheel is busy. And that's why, you know, busy isn't success. Busy is a lack of priority. Busy is a lack of understanding what you're supposed to be doing with this one precious life. And so I would be lying out my ass if I didn't say that that is a part of my personality that once you've tasted something and you receive a bunch of high fives for it, again, we're social animals to say we don't want or need acceptance is just fiction. And, you know, there's this, we as humans are wired for a negativity bias. We're wired to keep an eye on the horizon for uh, saber tooth tigers. And the reality is nowadays, you know, saber tooth tigers don't exist. And, Yet our psychology, our physiology, our biology think that somehow the number of likes that we get on Instagram post is somehow a saber-toothed tiger. And that's just our biology sort of inaccurately placing our negativity bias and our fear and our desire for acceptance and, and fulfillment in a really tough place. So you are actively working against your biology when you are when you're programming yourself to be comfortable with where you are right now, that success isn't tomorrow, that fulfillment has to start today. And so appreciating, this is why gratitude practices, for example, are, they're not just sort of nice to have, they're like psychologically um, required for some sense of fulfillment. And specifically, I'm, how I counter program is trying to actively take my ego you know, out of the center of the circle and put it on the edge of the circle with all of the other animals. And like, if you continually are, you know, need to post a bigger challenge or win a bigger deal or get more money or more followers or more whatever, it's just quickly, you know, the, the, the 
take it to its logical conclusion and you realize that you're never going to get there, wherever there is. You're always going to be on the journey there. And so if you can't reflect and appreciate the journey and be grateful for what you have, and if you can't put your ego in check, and this is an active thing. This is not, I don't, I haven't checked my ego at the door, right? Like I have to carry my ego in a backpack everywhere I go. And it, it can't, you know, it often lashes out. And, and I think part of, uh, you know, a little bit of wisdom that I've picked up in uh, the last, I would say, 10 years, a lot of it um, inspired by my wife, who's a meditation and mindfulness teacher, has been around how to check that. This gap between success and fulfillment, like, or, or another way of saying it is, you know, happiness is, is, is a choice, you know, chemical depression aside, and, and I think there's a real you know, um, I have suffered from that. I know, Corey, you've talked a little bit about it and some of the stuff you've done here at Rome, like that notwithstanding, you know, the, the ability, how you walk in, what you see and feel um, is largely a choice outside of the chemical stuff that is very well documented in our, in our world and growing. But to me, that's a, that's a really important place to start, that you have a role in this and that that role is... Um, is something you need to actively play like this is just being fulfilled and just like well right that's not our natural state so you have to actually work at it and there's all kinds of you know tactics in in creative calling and that you know whether it's with you know kelly starrett or or uh vim hoff or jimmy or any of these folks who you know mindset is such an important part of it like that's where they're coming from. And those are people who have achieved greatness and ultimately some semblance of uh, fulfillment. You know, you can see it and feel it. And you also see it and feel in people who are not fulfilled that are on top of the world by every measure. You can see the angst and the frustration and the gap between success and fulfillment. And that's to me is something I'm trying to avoid at all cost. Mm. Chase, you've, you mentioned it a couple of times. That's, that's something to sink our, minds into there another one but you, you mentioned a few times that i mean over the course of your podcast your live show you you mentioned it in the book I and mean, you've had the opportunity truly to interview i mean you've mentioned them Brene brown branson you know tim ferris gary v like i mean the the number of uh, lady gaga the people that you've been able to be around um and interview and pull out some of that wisdom, if, if we don't use that word too high and mighty, but you know, uh, I guess what in, in the lessons of, of all of those conversations, because you're always asking that question, yeah. what are your tactics? What are, um, what are some of the top things that you personally, not, not necessarily the, just the aggregate of, of all of those amazing people, yeah. but I mean, you shared some of that with us, but um, I don't want to lead you into it. I'll let you just, no. you know, you know no. yeah. you're, you're good. Like, what is it that you want me to share? Oh, uh, well, first of all, I think having, yes, I've had the chance to interview those people, but a lot of the people that you mentioned, you know, that initial meeting or time spent together, you know, you mentioned Gaga randomly, you know, was I, uh, endorsed Polaroid with her and as in part a deal that you and I worked really closely on for years. Um, uh, you know, 
the Tim Ferris's and the Brene Brown's and the Richard Branson is also an investor in creative live. And those started out as like, um, as you know, just a random business relationships. And, you know, they've, I'm excited that they have a lot of them involved into true friendships. And the, I think there's a kindred spirit um, part of the equation that I like to try and capture. And so I want to say that, you know, I had the good fortune of a lot of those folks getting to see not just the, another interview that they have when they have a book coming out that you actually truly spent lots of time around them and know, and, and that is part of what helped me understand that there's a, there's a, a pattern to, you know, both success and to fulfillment. I think success is almost, um, it's almost tragically accessible. Um, again, recognizing that I was born white and male in America in the seventies and, you know, have basically every advantage, um, throwing aside our individual similarities and, and differences. And just say, if you're listening to this podcast and you're in the Western world and you don't, it's not like you don't have access to clean drink, drinking water. So let's narrow the scope just a little bit, but that success is sort of a formula and the path to fulfillment is to me, that's where it's at. That is, can you be happy with who you are? Can you be alone with yourself? Can you be still and be grateful for the things you do have um, and recognize that life is happening for you, not to you? That is to me, you know, and, and a lot of that is can be distilled into mindset. And that to me is the key pattern of the folks that we've mentioned a couple of times especially the ones that I know very, very, very well that I consider friends, not just, you know, high powered people that I've had on the podcast or, or who teach at creative live. And that is part of my original and early obsession with mindset. It came out of sports and, you know, Corey, you know, this from climbing Everest or, uh, you know, and you can see this in a lot of top performers. If you don't have like mindset is just such a foundation to the pyramid you know, if you don't have a solid foundation, you can stack all of the skills, you know, whether it's professional golf or basketball, I'll go back to the Jordan or, you know, that of course, Alex is a very gifted climber, but the mentality to free solo a 3000 foot rock wall is, is nearly unfathomable, but that's what it is. It's a mindset thing. The physical skills uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that Alex is a very, you know, one of the top climbers in the world, no question. But what truly differentiates him is his mindset. And when you start unpacking the world's top performers in any discipline, this is the common theme. Hmm. You know, it's the, it's the mentality. And when I started realizing that early on in my career, I became obsessed with it. That actually is what led me to starting a podcast, you know, 11, 12 years ago was like, I want to tap into some of this juice that these top performers had. And when you realize that 95% of it is mental, you can say that, oh man, that's tough. That's not for me. Or you can realize that, wow, that actually makes it more accessible. So I might not be, you know, built out, built for the NBA physically, but I can, through training my mind, I can have access to some semblance of the same stuff that Michael Jordan's drinking every day or that Richard Branson or that Brene Brown or, you know, anyone else in whatever industry you admire. And to me, that is incredibly empowering and, and one other word on that and that's like for almost everybody you know there's a gap between where you are and where you want to be and whether that's you know physical skills or emotional skills or whatever there's some sort of a gap 
how can you be both content and feel okay with right now and, you know, and still strive for or have a preference for that ultimate outcome? I think that's one question. But even more interesting is this gap, it might actually, you might be 10 years away from that gap or 10,000 hours or whatever the thing is if you're starting on a journey right now. But the cool thing is you're one decision away from it. 10,000 hours, 10 years, you know, a thousand bloody blisters on your hands, but you're one decision. And that decision is just the decision to try. And to me, that is so inspiring that like, that's how I frame my mindset for any big creative mission. I'm going to go on starting a company or taking a risk or whatever. It's like, once I've decided like that's, you know, that's the moment where you sort of cross the threshold. And to me, that's really empowering. It's available to anyone who's listening right now. Hmm. I love that. And also that, you know, to pull like a Godin, it's like to try and also realize like this might not work. For sure. That's you know, a great like that, that's a, character. That, that's, yeah. That's a, like you've said this often to, to, to try to make and put it out there in the world without expecting that you're going to get something back. Yeah. That's hard. That's hard because we are all so, so sort of result oriented, like th- I'm going to do this and then this is going to happen because of that. Um, again, you know, I, I got to flip, let me, let me hijack this for just a second yeah. and flip the script on Corey, Corey trying to do a new route up Everest. You get shut down. Yeah. Was it not <laughs> worth it? Well, I mean, that's, I was actually going to interject there and say that even if it's, it's a, it's a matter of perspective on results. It's not that if the ex or the desired result doesn't come to pass that it didn't work. It just means that the result was different, right? So in essence, you know, of course, going to Everest, trying to do a new route, failing um, pretty spectacularly and very publicly didn't mean that we actually failed. It just means that, yes, we did not get to the top in that, that strict sense of alpinism. We didn't, we didn't get there that time. All it did was create a huge basis of information, a foundation for understanding of, A, if we go back to try to do that thing, then we have more to build on and we feel far more comfortable and confident in doing that. Or B, all of that information becomes translatable, transferable into other endeavors moving forward. Okay, what did I learn from Everest that then I can apply to the creation of this new business or writing a book or creating a, a teaching platform or making a podcast, whatever it happens to be? What are, the, what are the lessons that are transferable? So to your point, like letting go of the expectation of getting to the top is really hard, but you're never failing so long as you're doing. Dude, does that make sense? I can't. Yeah, I can't say it any better. You just you nailed it. And that's I think of having you say that I think is a uh, hopefully that's a passport. That was what I was trying to say. And you just said it so eloquently, you know, and as Gerard, you asked, you know, you sort of asked me to map the arc of sort of my career early on the like that that is that's, that is it. That's the roadmap right there. It's like, a pl- that is why you do versus just think, because if you think you're sitting on the couch thinking, you're not actually getting that, acquiring that knowledge and that the basis, the foundation um, for, you know, it's, it's not, 
the cool thing about experience is it's generally broadly applicable. <laughs> like climbing yeah. a mountain, you can apply that to basically anything because whether you're starting this podcast or, you know, building a business or whatever, it's, you know, analogous to the climb. And there's so many things that are transferable. And if it's not an accident that, you know, I write in this about in the book about this mastery, like I'm obsessed with mastery. And if you are wondering if you've mastered anything, you haven't. Because when you've truly mastered something, you're like, yeah, I got that one. I got that down. Check. And for me, that was photography. You know, I have said it publicly and I'll say it again. Like I can literally make any photograph. If you give me enough time and budget, I can make any photograph. And what that means is the creative gap in that discipline is zero. The gap between what I can see in my mind and what I can do is zero. When you've mastered something, let's just use Tim Ferriss as an example. Like what is cool is that you can, this is why I want people to go all in on the thing that they care about is because when you've mastered whatever it is, I don't care if it's chess or gardening or soccer or, you know, electrophysics, or I don't care what it is, but when you truly have mastered that, the ability to lift and lift and stamp key elements into another area of another discipline, another area of learning, it radically accelerates your ability to, you know, create success and fulfillment in another area. And this is something I see over and over. And it's like for the people who are like, damn, I'm so pissed at Tim Ferriss. He can speak 10 languages. He's a, you know, he's a, a salsa champion. He has, you know, he, whatever, you know, you can list Tim's accomplishments and it's mind boggling. And that's because this person has deconstructed um, mastery. And if you, you are, you've mastered alpinism, and that's not to say there's not more to learn, but you basically, you understand the three, three dimensionally, you understand the map, right? You understand the, the game, you understand the relationship between the outdoors and the psychology of the climber and the sponsors and the media. And, you know, you, you just like intuit it. The mm -hmm. fact that you can lift and stamp that onto other things is amazing. And that's, you know, it's a great takeaway for anyone who's listening or watching, like, if you try and be decent at everything all of the time, you know, uh, it's, it seems counterintuitive, but going all in on the thing that you really are driven to do naturally. And that sounds fun is a great way to uncork a huge aspect of the rest of your life. That's a beautiful, uh, uh, that's a, well, it's a beautiful place to, I, I think, end. I don't know. I, I don't want to end because I feel like, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have one more, I have one more change. <laughs> I realized something sort of interesting. Um, that, and that is a, that that's a, well, as you always say, is a beautiful bow on the, on the whole conversation. Um, there's an interesting thing early on you, you, you talked and you've talked really publicly about this It's well documented and it's, and it's similar. It's parallel to Corey's experience in, in it, in one very specific way in that you had a realization at an event, that event happened to be an avalanche. Mm -hmm. Corey also had a near death specifically in an avalanche. That is a, if you've ever been in an avalanche, I hope you haven't, but it is a very specific event that snaps some focus into, into your mindset. We are experiencing an event globally right now. And so I thought it was interesting that the two of you both were vastly influenced by this, this singular event in your life. 
that then the trajectory for both of you after that actually changed to a degree. So maybe for this is a dual question to two folks and in in well-documented massive avalanches that changed changed in different result. Corey was actually buried. You avoided it by being at the crown and putting your ax in. Um, But you both had an experience after that. Um, Maybe if we could talk a little bit about the, that, that those events and a parallel to how we're spending time and how people are are experiencing this event, the COVID event right now and, and wrap with that. Corey, you go first, man. That's, that's heavy. That's a, you beat you're me the, to you're a host like the of this thing. <laughs> I was going to try and kick it to you. <laughs> um, no chance. Well, here's what I'll say about my event being, you know, nearly killed in an avalanche. Um, that event, while it did launch in some ways my career, or at least it pushed my career in a new direction, I think that event ultimately uh, made me for a time, more selfish, more self-absorbed, more, um, yeah, uh, unaware of other people. And it, it's a, by virtue of certain psychological processes that happened, but also the, the sort of the accolades and, um, and outpouring that came after that. And I, like Chase said earlier, you know, there's, there's, there are things that happen in life that I would not take back. Certainly I've, I've, I've profited and not just monetarily, but I've profited in many ways from that event. And it taught me a lot about myself and vulnerability and my weaknesses as a human um, and also my strengths. I would like to think that in this moment, uh, this similar, in some ways, this catastrophic moment that we're experiencing and a lot of what resonating with a lot of what Chase said about the shift in his perspective, I'm understanding that my place in this world, in this moment, needs to be far less about me, needs to be far less about what I'm creating and putting into the world in terms of like, I'm a photographer, I'm an alpinist. It needs to be more aimed at um, how can I help other people express themselves? Because the only thing that's helped me out of the darkness of the aftermath of that avalanche was expression of, uh, of what I was feeling and what I was experiencing through art. And uh, I have come to understand that um, I can be deeply self-indulgent and uh, very, very self-focused. And at that time, that chapter in my life um, where the, the gap between success and fulfillment has been so great and so deafening and so debilitating, um, I've lived that now and it's time to find a different way forward. And this moment, this pandemic is giving me the opportunity to explore perhaps some of what that looks like. And this conversation specifically has been a, not a subtle, but a very profound reminder that that is a better trajectory and a more fulfilling one for me. Damn. Um, 
I think that, you know, what I, I just heard you share, Corey, was, you know, that that's that second arc and whatever snapped you into it, whether it was the avalanche or the pandemic, or um, I think there's a an experience that parallels my own and a lot of the other folks that I, I have talked to, you know, late nights around the campfire or around the bourbon or whatever it may be. Um, it is this, um, uh, what's the, what's the right way into this? Um, also, you know, I keep referencing my book because I'd, I'd spent, a, you know, years writing this thing and there's an, I think an important part in there. <clears throat> um, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very intentional here. As, as you can take tell. your time. If you got no, the, 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 for me, the avalanche was an event and the event, what is common in my understanding of the human experience is that we, that events usually trauma, honestly, and that trauma can be an avalanche. That trauma can be at, you know, at home, that trauma can be somewhere in your life. That trauma is the thing that you use, you know, the word trigger is it's, it's unnecessarily powerful, but it, it sparks, I'll say, um, an awakening. And what I wrote in the book and what I feel right now is that wouldn't it be amazing if we had the ability to not require trauma in order to make us do the things we want to do? Yeah. And the, the reality is that we're human. <laughs> And that is part of trauma's job is to awaken us to the next chapter, not just chapter of our life, but of our psychology, of our personal growth. You know, again, you heard what Corey, you know, what, what you're putting in this, you know, for me, that was literally the day, the day after, or that was the night of the, the, the night of surviving the avalanche. I remember being in Alaska, looking at the ceiling and just saying, it's kind of crazy how my whole career has been about me, about beating my chest. Cause as a you know, independent creator, if you don't stand out, you know, who's going to hire you. You, can, you know, if you're caught in the signals and noise ratio and like, you know, you have to beat your chest and stand on a box and wave your hands. And that's part of the thing. And, you know, for me, that moment was a, a shift and it's like, wait a minute, like it's been the best, absolute unbelievable experience I can, you know, I can fathom to be able to get paid to do the thing I'm doing. What if the next piece of my life was helping people understand that better? You know, and that literally translated into me starting the blog in 2005. I had a full-time video person following me around in 2005. It seems trendy now, but, and that was really launched by that moment in Alaska. Like, let's tell stories. How can we capture the things that I feel like I've learned that if we could share those with other people for free, putting them out there that, that maybe if I can infect one or three or five or 10 people to pursue the thing that they were actually put on this planet to do, that will be worthwhile. Now, what I want to leave the folks at home with is, you know, you heard from, you know, Corey's experience. I think what I'm, I'm trying to echo his sentiment here. Uh, but here's the cool thing is whether, you know, however the pandemic is affecting you, 
you know, some people, you know, uh, may be slightly insulated based on their line of work or their bank account or their socioeconomic status, or some people might be in the shit and just getting hammered right now. And bankruptcy is inevitable and homelessness is a real possibility. And, you know, wherever you are on that spectrum, use this as one of those moments. It's clearly traumatic, however you define the word. And, you know, let's make it so that you don't have to you know, that your pandemic moment doesn't have to be an actual near-death moment, that it can be soft enough, but loud enough to awaken you to the things that you want to be doing right now. And I, I just, you know, I wish we didn't need to have these moments. I wish I didn't need to almost die. And I'm sure, Corey, you wish you didn't have to suffer that trauma, but here we all are on the other side of those moments. And if you who's listening and watching can project what it's going to be like for you to be on the other side of this moment, why not start taking that charting that path and start taking that the vision that you have for yourself, or if you don't have one yet, spending the time, the headspace, this stuff requires space. And that's what we all haven't had up till now. So use this time to define who you want to be and what you want to become and put it into action. That's like, I can't, it's it's a great question, Gerard, to, to like what are this what are we doing with the trauma? And my hope is that wherever you are, that you can apply that trauma towards, you know, you put it in the bank for whatever it is you want to be or become in the world. I just don't know how any, any other way. It's not necessarily the most eloquent way of saying it, but it ain't about the the eloquence. It's about the you know how you take it, and so. Dear God, just like use this. Motivation is the wrong word, but like deep-seated soul, like tapping um, truth. Like you know what the truth sounds like. And when you hear it, it sounds different than everything else. That's what you should be seeking. I think, I think it's, you said it earlier, it's about the compass. Find your true north and yeah. follow it. You don't have to know where you're going. Just align yourself with your compass yeah. and, and just start on that journey wherever it's pointing. Mm -hmm. I love it. Thank you, both of you, uh, for taking Thank that you. last minute. Oh, all there. Uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, it great. I miss and, you guys. Uh, yeah, man. It's been uh, a little yeah. while since the Rome Awards, right? That we were all together briefly. Yeah. No, I know. That was such a wonderful moment of physical community. Yeah. I think we were talking so much about here we are eyeball to eyeball. And this is totally. you know, like community being in the same room. And then it was like, wow. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, digital community. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're rolling with it. Um, we mentioned it a few times, but get this book if you want to go deeper with Chase, because much of what he's talking about is history, everything is in it. And uh, there are some real great systems. He talks about a system called IDEA, I-D-E-A. Um, if you want to find out more about that, then it's in here. Um, we've just scratched the surface on so much of that. And the and thing is like two bucks right now, like $2. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can afford it. Um, uh, Thank you so much, Chase, for joining us. This was an amazing conversation. I just want to say publicly, I've said it to you before, but you know, your influence on me and, and this community, it's so awesome to have you part of this community, even as you know, you're out in the world doing sort of transcending it to it to a degree. Um, your influence on me, I mean, my companies, Inkwell and Rome, would not be in existence 
without your influence and your friendship. And I just, I deeply appreciate that, man, like mm. as, as your friend. And, and I just want to, it's a, a thank you that we're here together doing this. It's always been fun. And uh, I hope, you know, Corey and I had this, the, speaking of making, we had this idea, we've talked about this as boring to anyone who's actually listening, but that we were going to do this fancy podcast in a studio and, and, and channel some of the stuff you and I have done together with the, you know, the, all the good equipment and so on and so forth. And then this COVID came along and we sort of said, you know, screw it, let's get busy making. And, yep. you know, now we've had 15 of these conversations and it's, it's, we're, we're getting better at it. We're still, I, oh, myself man. anyways, I'm not, Corey's awesome. He's the king of the company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, all of, there's so much inspiration in, in what you've put out in the world. And I really encourage people to, to, to pick up the book. I've had the great fortune of getting a lot of that book in person over the years. And that's why to you, can, you can couch it as great. I don't know if it was so great well, during those times. You're yeah, like, well, my you ears know, are bleeding, dude. Stop talking. We've had some fun. We've had some fun. Well, um, I appreciate, thanks for the yeah. kind words, man. Uh, I respect and appreciate and admire both you guys and, uh, and Rome and the community that you all built. It's, it's fun. I, I said it in a little vlog that I made during the Rome awards. It felt like coming home to be with you all. Cause so many of us got our start in the in the same industry with the same mentality at a similar time and uh, love you guys and so grateful to be on the show. Love what you're doing. Um, make it till you make it is much more appreciate than faking it till you make it. It feels better and you learn a lot more along the way. So thanks love for having it. me on the show. You guys are amazing. Thanks, brother. Love you for everything. Love you too, man. guys. Talk soon. Ciao, ciao. Well, that was a great conversation. That was mind blowing. Such yeah. a such a good, um, yeah. He he's just so good at putting forth ideas and making them digestible in a really clear, concise, and you know, beautiful, understandable way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the influence, uh, as I mentioned, sort of doting, but he's truly a mentor of mine, a, a coworker, a friend. But uh, he, he's he's had a massive influence on so many photographers and so many creatives. Um, it's great to, to be able to spend some time with him today and you can pick up his book creative calling um, we'll put that in the show notes uh, follow him on the social medias um, and uh, thanks again for joining us if you enjoy what we're doing here run from home drop us a review on iTunes or all the other places that you can find podcasts um, and subscribe thanks so much thanks team see you next time peace Oh,